0: Cool, all right, well maybe, maybe not. So you let me know if I've got pictures today. Uh, but if you have a three, four, or five-year-old, you are barraged with questions, okay? Mommy, why is that lady fat? Now they never ask that question this way, Mommy, Mommy, why is that lady fat? And they never ask it in private, they just ask loudly and in public, Mommy, why is that lady fat? That lady right there, (laughs) daddy, daddy, why does that man not have any arms? What happened to his arms? He's missing his arms. Do you see that man right there? Shh, okay. (laughs) Kids are this way. They ask these kinds of questions. And uh, if you have kids, at some point they ask this question right here. Mommy, daddy, where would your babies come from? Now typically they ask that when Mommy and daddy are expecting another baby. Well, it's in mommy's belly. What? How does it come out? What's it doing in there? Like, so they have all kinds of questions related to that. Now, teenagers, you know the answer to this question, don't you? You've had the talk. You've had the classes in Jessamine County Schools. You know, okay? Now, all three of my kids over time asked me the question, where do babies come from? And there are a couple of ways that I could answer that question. I could say to them, well, your biological mother and I had sexual intercourse, actually, several times within a 30 day period. And in one of those encounters, one of my sperm latched onto one of your mother's eggs and fertilized that egg. That egg then implanted on your mother's biological mother's uteral wall, and 39 weeks later, out you came. Now, I could also tell my kids, well, a long time ago, like, I saw your mom, and she was in a pink drifter sweater and had a strand of pearls, and I thought, wow. And over time, I realized, oh, my goodness, I want to marry this woman. And your mom and I, we love each other, and we didn't know you were coming along. Like, we didn't know you would be you. But you're a gift and a blessing, and we're so glad to have you. And you're actually a result of mom and I loving each other. And we have so many goals and hopes for you. Um, Now, which account is actually true? Which one? Oh, come on now. One is based in science and biology, and one is just a story. Right? See, it's a false dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy. We live at a day and a time when the story of where we came from is really important. And we're told that there's a battle going on between science and faith, and that you have to choose. And you can either choose to be smart and intelligent and side with science, or you can be kind of a ramphead <laughs> and you can go have faith in God. And it's one or the other. But I want to suggest to you today that it's a false dichotomy. It's it's a false dichotomy. Our young people, by the way, are being told either they can believe in science or they can have faith in God and it's one or the other. So I want to frame the story of our origins today. And I want to say to you, you don't have to choose. And by the way, you don't have to check your brain at the door either. But secondly... The doctrine of creation and the doctrine of the image of God are actually more relevant and more important today in 2017 than they've been in the last 500 years in Western civilization. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But because a lot of people mistakenly believe that they have to choose between science and faith in God, some of them simply reject science altogether and they say, well, I don't care what science says. My Bible tells me the earth is 6,000 years old, so the Bible says it, I believe it. And they interpret Genesis literally. Now, if you're here today, and you are a young earth creationist, there's room for you here, okay? There is. I actually have a few theologian friends that I respect greatly who are young earth creationists. I'm not one of them, though. So to put my cards on the table, I'm not a young earth creationist, and I'm not for several reasons. One... I feel like the geological and physical evidence is overwhelming that Earth is roughly 4.5 billion years old. Secondly, I don't think you have to interpret Genesis 1 through 11 literally in order for Genesis 1 to 11 to still be true. Remember the two stories about where my kids came from? (laughs) Okay. And thirdly, if the Earth is young and if the young young Earth people are actually right, that kind of wigs me out a little bit theologically because I'm like, where else is God kind of fooling me? Like, because I'm entrusting this God with my life and my future. And it's important for me for God to be consistent in how he reveals himself. Okay, so again, now if you're a young earth, uh, again, if you're a young earth creationist, uh, today may be a little unsettling for you, we should have coffee. But you know what? At the end of the day, if you still want to say the earth is 6,000 years old, you can do it. It's a free country. <laughs> okay. But I'm doing today and I'm talking about today because I care about young people. And if you're young, I don't want you to get to college and encounter things and feel like you have to jettison your faith because here's what happens most of the time. You hear things from professors in college and you're also wanting to be free from some constraints in your life. You're wanting to do what you want to do. And it's a wonderful opportunity because you can go, well all this stuff about religion and whatnot, that's all made up and science. And so what happens is you end up rejecting your faith in part because you think they're incompatible with with scientific truth, but also because in honesty, you'd rather be free of God telling you what to do and how to live your life, okay? So again, now, there is a um, philosophical system, however, that masquerades as science, and I wanna call that out today. It's called materialism or naturalism. And I've taken these definitions from Wikipedia, which by the way is known to be a harbinger of conservative thought and evangelical Christianity. But, <laughs> but Wiki- <sighs> Mock me if you will. Um, materialism is a form of philosophical monism which holds that all matter is the fundamental substance in nature and that all phenomenon, including mental phenomenon and consciousness, big debate there, are identical with material interactions. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, I'm back in biology 101. Let me explain. The physical things to the universe are all the things that are real about the universe. There is nothing else. Now, that's a philosophical claim. That's not a scientific claim. Naturalism is the same thing. In philosophy... See what it's in philosophy, naturalism is the idea or belief that only natural laws and forces operate in the world. So if if naturalism and materialism are true, then it is is it even possible for God to exist? No, it's not even possible. It's impossible. And materialism and naturalism are telling a story of our origins. A story that you can find on PBS. If you go to Disney World with Spaceship Earth, they, it will tell the story, it's telling a story. Long, long ago, uh, the cosmos burst forth. <sighs> Helium and hydrogen expanded throughout the galaxy. Molecules became particles and particles became galaxies and galaxies, burst forth planets, and blah, 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 and here we are. And it's, and it's blind, purposeless, uncaring physical processes, that's all it is. That's a story of our origins that's being told. And so I say to the materialists, really, how do you know this is all there is? Like, is that proven somewhere? Like, where's the evidence, okay? And we can have a debate, and and there's some strong arguments for it, okay? But against the story of materialism is another story. It's the story that we tell in the church, the story of Genesis. So if you brought a Bible, you can open it to the very first pages. You don't even have to be a Baptist like me and know your sword drill to get there. It's the very first page of your Bible, okay? So after the table of contents, uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter one, okay? Genesis chapter one. I'm gonna read the text and unpack it a little bit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. What is the Bible asserting that God did exactly? God brought everything into existence out of nothing. In Latin, it's ex nihilo, out of nothing. So, again, God made everything out of nothing. Space, time, and matter were brought into existence by God. In the beginning, time. God created the heavens and the earth, space and matter. Genesis is telling us something important about God. Uh, God made everything out of nothing. I don't know if you've tried to do this. I know some of you in school feel like you're asked to do this all the time. I'm in art class and they want me to make this project and they don't give me paint, they don't give me canvases, you know, I gotta corral everything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about have you ever had to make something out of nothing? Genesis is telling us something important about this God who made everything. Genesis is telling us that God brings order out of chaos. God took that which was without form and empty and gave it both form and substance. But God is not the same thing as what he made. God is distinct from his creation, Right? The other thing that Genesis tells us is that God is powerful. That's the ex nihilo. And, and again, I don't interpret this literally, but God spoke the universe into existence. That tells me that God didn't have to uh, work his tail off to make the universe. In a sense, it was effortless. The other thing the text tells me is that God is holy and good, as seen in the creation of light and darkness. That's one of the bigger metaphors that goes from the beginning pages of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. And John says this, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So Genesis is telling us something important about where we came from. God made everything. But there's another part of the story. That's the story of us, you and me, human beings, people. So let's see what Genesis records here. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. (sighs) So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female He created them, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. In his image, in Latin, imago dei, in the Hebrew, salem, likeness or reflection. In Mesopotamia, kings would set up a statue of their likeness, and that statue of the likeness of the king was intended to convey the authority of that king, meaning his authority now extends to this area. So when God is creating people in his image, he's claiming to be king. I am king over everything. So what does it mean, though, to be made in God's image? Because this is Generations Community Church, I'm not going to get into the substantial, functional, or relational aspects of this doctrine. You're welcome, okay? (laughs) You're welcome. If you wanna have coffee with me, we can talk about those. But I am going to contrast it with materialism, okay? So what, what the story of creation is telling us that is different from materialism, materialism says, yes, I share some things with whales, donkeys, uh, and a dog, but in a sense, I'm no more valuable or precious than they are. We all kind of, we, you know, we all kind of came along together. The doctrine of creation says, whoa, while there may be some similarities in DNA and some other stuff that's in common, human beings are special, distinct. They bear the mark of their creator in them, unlike anything else in creation. How do I know that human beings are valuable? Well, I know it from the old preacher way of talking about it. You know what old preachers used to say? You want to know what something's worth? Find out what someone else is willing to pay for it. Some of you are trying to sell a house. If you list your house today for $150,000, and within an hour or two of the listing hitting the market, you've got five offers, anywhere from 150 dollars to 170. dollars What does it tell you about the value of your home? It's worth a little more than 150. dollars If you put your house on the market for $150,000, and it sits there for a month, for six months, for a year and a half... And you get one offer for 115, what does that tell you about your 150 price? It's too high. <laughs> okay? The Bible tells us that God loved the world so much that he what? Sent his one and only son to die for us. So we know that human beings are valuable because of what God did for human beings. As Rick Warren says, you'll never meet someone Jesus Christ didn't die for. So being made in God's image does several things. It confers on us dignity. It entrusts us with responsibility. And I can't even get into this, but the the idea that we can just, uh, I'm a kayaker. When, When I see trash everywhere all over Kentucky, I'm like, really? This is not taking responsibility for what we're supposed to have responsibility for, okay? But that's another thing. Implants in us a capacity to be like our creator, to mirror him. We talked about this in the marks of a disciple. One of the marks of a disciple is that they change over time for the better. They become more and more like the Jesus we read about in the Gospels, all right? So I want to contrast this even more, all right? The story of where we came from, the story that God made the heavens and the earth is very different from the story that materialism tells us. Because if materialism is true and the physical universe is all there is to reality, you're no more important than a whale or monkey or a dog. You're, in a real sense, a cosmic coincidence, a stroke of chance. There's no morally compelling reason to put up with inferior or weak people. But if the story of creation is true, you're so important that God would die for you. You're here for a reason, and everyone matters, even the weak, even the diminished. In 2006, I got to spend a year apprenticing, in a sense, with Chuck Colson before he died, okay? And Chuck is most famous for the Watergate debacle. He was part of the Watergate thing. Read it and, you know, go Google it later. But he, he had a big heart for reaching people in prison, and then that, in turn, into a heart for helping people in the church change their thinking. Because he saw how, that if he could change the thinking of people in prison, it would set them on a path to freedom and they wouldn't go back. And so he wanted to see the same thing in the church. And he was convinced that the the doctrine of creation and the doctrine of the image of God were the most important doctrines for our day and time. He said, origins determine our destiny. And what he meant was, uh, the, how you answer the question, where did we come from, is going to have profound implications in how you treat people, the, the way you educate children, how, uh, just tons and tons of, of ways. Let me get into just some of them, okay? So right now, in the world, there are people who stand up and who say, I'm better than you because your race is inferior. Now, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I would say, whoa, there's one race, the human race, All right? Everyone bears the image of God. Now, I know my history, gang. I know that there have been Christians who used the Bible to uphold slavery, and those people were dead wrong. And I would point out that the war that we fought 150 plus years ago, it wasn't the materialist and naturalist lining up to go, you know, we should free the slaves. It was people with profound Christian convictions, okay? So there's another area where this plays out culturally. I don't know if you know this, but in several European nations, Down syndrome is almost gone. Do you know why Down syndrome is almost gone? Because when the baby tests positive, the doctor comes to you and asks this question, would you like to proceed with the pregnancy? Jenny and I were asked that question with Maddie. We were given a series of flip charts, there were some things about that pregnancy, and the doctor asked, would you like to proceed with this pregnancy? Okay. And in Iceland, uh, ironically, there are almost no Down syndrome babies born today. Now, some of you would say, well, that's good, right? That's a good thing for society. Ironically, in 2011, there was a study published in the American Journal of Medical Genetics, and this is what they found. of individuals with Down syndrome reported being happy, 94% of their siblings expressed pride in their brother or sister with Down syndrome, and only 4% of parents expressed regret in bringing that child into the world and raising it with Down syndrome. In our own congregation, we have a lady over 30 years old who has a chromosomal abnormality. I won't name her because they put this online. Her mother was told she'll never learn to walk, she'll never learn to feed herself. She's done those things. But she has the mental capacity of a kindergartner. Are we better off without her? Uh, We have someone in our congregation who's missing half of his cerebellum because of brain cancer at age eight. And even though he's a sharp cookie and he reads voraciously philosophy and theology, he has a diminished capacity because he's missing a chunk of his brain. Is he less of a person? Less of, not in God's image because he's missing a chunk of his brain? Today in our society, all over college campuses, we have Young women who are nothing more than an object because the man that they're in a relationship with is addicted to porn and all they see for that young woman is what that one woman can do for them. They use the woman, they objectify the woman, and when they're done, they just toss her aside like she's a piece of trash. I'm telling you, the doctrine of the image of God matters. It matters. It matters that people are made in God's image and have inerrant worth and dignity. And I could go on and on. What I see is the same thing that Chuck Colson saw. What's happening is because we're telling the story of materialism and that's the story of our origins, we've lost the inerrant mystery and beauty and wonder of people being made in God's image and we're returning to the first century. In the first century of the Roman Empire, if you were a set of parents and you had a girl and you didn't want a girl, you would take that little baby girl and put her in a clay pot and take her and throw her into the trash heap. In the Roman Empire, some people were more valuable than others. They had an entire hierarchy for this. We're going back, not forward, by jettisoning the doctrine of creation. Now. I have to acknowledge and admit the history of the church is a flawed history. It is a flawed history. There have been so many times and instances where people used scripture wrongly, where people used scripture to do the very thing that Jesus condemned to oppress other people. And it's happened. But the trajectory of Christianity is one of greater and greater liberation and respect and dignity of persons. Where did we come from? How you answer that question matters. The story that you tell matters. If you're parents, I need you to up your game. PBS, Disney, everybody is telling the story of materialism. You need to be talking with your kids regularly about the fact that God made them, that God doesn't make junk, that they're here for a reason. Verbalizing those things over your kids matters. If you're here today and you're afraid of science, would you please take a breath? Would you please take a breath? Like, discoveries in the last 100 years, I look at science the way I look at archaeology. Every major archaeological discovery of the last 200 years has only confirmed the biblical historical account. When I was educated in the 1980s, there were so many times when my professors would say to me, well, we just take it on faith that, but we don't have any archaeological evidence for. And then... In 1990, there was a discovery. This stuff happens. I look at science the same way. If something's true, it's true. This is telling me something about where I came from that's true. Science is ultimately not going to contradict that. And with Big Bang and the second law of thermodynamics and some other things, I'm convinced that science is, in fact, bearing witness. If the materialists succeed, though, and their story becomes the, the story for Western civilization, I worry about my kids and my grandkids, I do. Because anytime a small group of people gets to decide who's valuable and who's not, who's worth keeping and who's thro- worth, you know, you can just throw them away, lots of people end up dying every single time. But what if it were the case that children in the West grew up knowing that God made everything out of nothing and that every person they encountered, no matter how weak, no matter how diminished, was somebody made in God's image, inerrantly worthy of love and everything else that we can offer. That's the kind of society that I want to live in. That's why Jesus' kingdom is so much better than what Rome can do. I want to pray for you and pray for me. And I'm going to ask... uh, Brian and Don to slip up because we've got some special music to close out today. Father, I confess, uh, I'm not as smart as I wish I were and I don't have so many things figured out and I have so many questions and it seems like the older I get, the more questions I have than I do answers. I don't even understand that. But I am convinced that you made everything and that that makes all the difference in the world. I pray that among us, as a community of faith, that our kids would grow up to become adults who are utterly convinced that you're real, that they can trust you no matter what. And we pray for our for our country and for the rest of our uh, fellow Americans. Um, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of stuff being said. There's a lot of things being done. Help us to stand up for the weak for the marginalized, for the people that the rest of society wants to throw away in the garbage bins. And in that way, perhaps we might show them a better way to live. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.